Well, it's great to be here with you. Great to be celebrating with you. Merry Christmas. Yeah, that's pathetic. Merry Christmas. There we go, a little better, and uh, it's exciting to be here with you guys, and uh, hey man, we had a very long, very warm fall, right? And so, welcome to winter, and I uh, love what God's got out there for us as we can just take a season to relax in Him here in December and make much of our Savior, and all of God's people said, and uh, man, we're in a series here, it's called Incomparable Christ, Incomparable Christ, and we're digging into So what's so great about Jesus? Like why all this celebration and what's going on and what do we need to know about him? And we're walking through just four quick weeks here on the incomparable nature of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you're wondering where we're headed, that's what those uh, charts are up there. And uh, just a great guidance for us as we walk through it. We looked at him a couple weeks back as eternal king, eternal king. He is God Almighty from eternity past to eternity future, and we're looking to him as our unbelievable king of the universe. There is no one like him, and all of God's people said, right? He is eternal king. The passage we looked at there called him the Word, capital W, Word. He is the divine expression of God's passions, God's purposes, God's hopes, God's plans, Jesus Christ, God coming into this world. He is the word. And uh, he brought hope with, a hope for salvation in him. If we believe in him, if we trust in him, if we count on him, we can have hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the eternal king. Man, everything hinges on that. We've said that two weeks in a row now, right? If he's not eternal king, the rest of this stuff starts to get a little silly. Like, what are we making a big deal out of it for? And Because it's God Almighty and his plan in this universe as he holds this place together physically and he brings unbelievable spiritual plan to it all. He is eternal king. And uh, we worship him for that. Everybody just say eternal king. That's who he is, man. And uh, as eternal king, he came humbly. Humble child. And we celebrate that at the Christmas season as he came the virgin birth and the whole question behind it. I mean, we talk about humility, Philippians chapter 2, because God humbled himself and became a man, but it's more than that. He humbled himself and he became a man and he walked into an atmosphere of a lot of unrest. Uh, A question about whether his mother had some kind of moral failure, the father-to-be walking away, and uh, Joseph not wanting to have anything to do with her, and... and, uh, Just a crazy time of stir in that family. And Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, humbly came to that environment. And uh, he ended up having angels coming along with and bringing some message and making some things clear so that Joseph would hang with Mary and provide an earthly, physical father to care for him, the Holy Spirit being the one who conceived him. Everybody say, that's a miracle, right? And so if you're in that spot where you're like, this stuff's almost unbelievable, and uh, you're getting there, like this is the God of the universe, and it isn't just some small plan, yes, and a huge deal going on, eternal king, humble child, and today we're looking at him as growing teacher growing teacher. And uh, I'm just telling you, you should wrestle a little bit with what does it mean to be fully God 
and then fully man. And if you're fully God, why do you need to grow in anything, right? And so we're going to need to talk through that a little bit today as we watch this unfold. So before we dive in, uh, let me just tell you, uh, when I was back in college, I ended up going, I went to Wheaton College and then the U of I. So I got a liberal arts degree from Wheaton and an uh, electrical engineering degree from the U of I. That was my uh, first degrees as I ended up going into the business world and doing engineering for a number of years and then ended up at Moody for grad school and getting into the pastorate. And uh, when I was back at Wheaton, uh, I was in an art class, one of those art appreciation classes, you know, to well-round, you remember I said liberal arts degree, right? So they're going to well-round us, teach us to love art. And so one of our jobs one day, she paired us up, the art teacher did, and she said, all right, here's the deal, blindfold yourself, one of you blindfold yourself, and the other is going to walk you out into the back behind the building, and your job is to experience the world behind this building for the first time without eyesight, blindfolded. And so I was to go first, so uh, the person I was with was walking me out, you know, going down the steps where you can't see anything, and every step you take, you're feeling with your foot, and you're reaching out for the rail and holding on there, because you don't trust them at all, right? And uh, so we're walking down a little bit together, get to the outside, we open up, and you get out there, and quite frankly, it takes a little bit of time to transition. Basically, your first thing you notice is, I can't see anything. That's the first thing you notice. And, and I'm, I'm out there and I'm like, okay, what I see is blackness. Now what do I do? And so you just get quiet for a moment and all of a sudden, you started hearing birds all over the place. And uh, the craziest thing is I was like, I guess I never really even noticed there were birds out here in the back. Like, it's kind of a lot of concrete, but there's a lot of birds hanging around. And you're hearing the birds chirping, and you're hearing some things going on, and you can hear the other classmates walking around a little bit. You hear their feet on the ground, and you feel that breeze start blowing against you. It was one of those uh, early spring days and just a gorgeous day outside. And, and so I'm enjoying the breeze. I'm hearing the birds. They walked me over to a tree, and I reached out and started touching the tree and uh, it was this really hard, rough, thick bark, really thick. And as you start touching it, you start realizing, this tree is huge, right? I never even really noticed the massiveness of it. I couldn't even get my arms a quarter of the way around this trunk. And, and we started noticing a ton as we were kicking in other senses and allowing one sense to be blindfolded. Hey, just so you know, when the God of the universe, Jesus Christ, God Almighty, came to this earth and humbled himself and became a man, he took on a blindfold of sorts, all right? He did not lose the abilities of Godhead. Everybody say, didn't lose the ability. Really important. Didn't lose the ability. He ended up allowing it to be limited in that moment, but he did not lose the ability. He just wasn't using it, if you will. And so the growing that we see going on, even today we're going to see it a little bit. Just remember every time you see it, you're like, a little less of the blindfold is on now. Okay? That's kind of what's going on. Fully God. Super important. Fully God. And yes, fully man. Willingly allowing himself to be limited in that way. Not the loss of ability, just not using it in that time. And so he's going to grow up into this world. Can you imagine how fast the God of the universe grows up, right? 
And uh, All right, so here we go. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41, as we talk about the growing teacher. How are we to respond to this one, the growing teacher? First point, marvel. Jesus has unbelievable understanding and knowledge of Scripture and this world. Marvel. Be in awe. Jesus has unbelievable understanding of knowledge of Scripture and of this world. Man, go to your God. He knows everything. Right? And uh, here we go. Let's dive in, starting in verse 41. It says, Now his parents, that's Jesus, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. Notice again, this starts out with the word now. It's a connecting word in the original language. It's saying from what was going on, the next thing is kind of a logical thing for you to know and hear. Now. And uh, so what's it connecting to? Well, look at verse 40. It says, and the child, this is talking about Jesus, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. Well, he had kind of a head start, right? And so the God of the universe growing up under the leadership of Mary and Joseph, can you imagine? This is their first kid, right? They're like, do you see how good of parents we are? Look at how smart our kid is, right? And uh, I'm telling you, coming up in this family, Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, it says, and the favor of God was upon him. And the favor of God the Father was on him, just pouring it on him, growing up into, yes, he had taken on blindfold limitations in so many ways where he was not going to use the power of his Godhead, but he was going to allow it to be limited in that season. And uh, as he was growing up, more and more began to be revealed about his greatness. Verse 41, now, right, so just so you know where we're at, growing Jesus Super mature and wise, brilliant beyond his years, God showing his favor, here we go. His parents were going to Jerusalem. They went there every year for the Feast of Passover, every year. They were being faithful. In fact, in the Old Testament, there was a call to travel to Jerusalem every year. That was a measure of your faithfulness and of your committedness. And so they were showing their dedication to God Almighty as they went to Jerusalem Every single year for the feast of Passover. And uh, super important that we grasp that this is Passover, right? So what is it? Passover. Well, this is that time when they looked back about 1,400 years at the time of Jesus. They were looking back about 1,400 years to the time of the Exodus. When Israel as a nation was trapped in Egypt as slaves. God had a plan, right? Everybody say, God had a plan. God had a plan but they were slaves in Egypt. God was allowing them to grow up under this, and now he was releasing them out. And as he released them out, there was the story of the 10 plagues, if you remember. And in the midst of these plagues, the Pharaoh finally says, that's it, get them out of here. The 10th one being so bad that in fact, Israel was asked to take blood by their God, to take blood of a lamb and put it on the doorpost. And as the Holy Spirit, as the Spirit moved through that town that night, bringing the plague, he would pass over the houses that were committed to God himself, the houses that were showing their dedication by putting the lamb's blood on the doorpost, all right? That's the Passover. Everybody say, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. 
We better grasp this. That's a type. That's a looking forward in a literary form and in a metaphorical form, trying to show something bigger coming. And there's this lamb's blood on the doorpost and getting passed over for a punishment if you have that lamb's blood with you. Now we go forward 1,400 years to the time of Christ. Remember we were looking at in the first week when John said of Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God. Thank you. Check it out. Very good. Whoever said that. (laughs) One person got the pickup. Behold, right? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? And they're talking there about Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God. And where the Passover was a lamb's blood, a physical lamb with blood on the doorpost. Now our salvation is Jesus Christ and his blood on the cross. And the type of the Passover was pointing forward to the gift that Christ would give. Check this out now. Now Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Are you getting how important this moment is for Jesus? This is his celebration. This is about what I'm going to bring into this world. This is about the sacrifice that I'm going to make. This is all about Christ and what he will bring as the Lamb of God. And it's not revealed out all that Jesus is thinking here, but know this. The Passover was nothing but a party and a celebration of a type Just wait for the party and celebration that comes when Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and he is the Lamb of God for you and for me. Amen? We have hope in Jesus Christ. He's coming to this celebration, probably gets it a lot more than they get it at this point. It says, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. So they're now taking Jesus at 12 years old pretty close to that age where he was going to be released into manhood. You know, we've heard the phrase bar mitzvah, right? We've heard that before. That was around age 13. That probably didn't start until after the time of Christ as an official thing that they went through. But there was definitely this process of coming coming into manhood. And Jesus Christ, being in that age range, was definitely allowed to do things like Um, separating from parents, being able to do and go about things within the town. He was more responsible in that level. And uh, Jesus, 12 years old, uh, junior high age, let that settle in, junior high age, and the phrase used of him was filled with wisdom. Right? Let that settle in. And they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended as they were returning. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now, I'm just telling you all too often, we read scripture and uh, we get very used to just reading it and going, oh, that's what happened. And uh, we don't really get our emotions involved. And so just like last week, it's going to be important for us to read this story as if we're hearing it for the first time. Dude, he is 12 years old and he just got left behind in a major city where there is a lot of different things that could happen to him. It's a bad moment that he got left alone. And so really, when we hear that he's left alone, our response really needs to be something a lot more like, uh, uh uh-oh, right? And so as we're reading through this, that's 
Now your job, respond with that. Here we go. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Yeah, we better get ready, man. This is going to be hard on the parents for sure. Notice Jesus had a choice. It doesn't say, and his parents left him behind, right? It says Jesus stayed behind. So he knew something was going on, but he made a decision. Uh, It says his parents did not know it. Okay. Let that settle in, all of you parents of junior hires. My kid decided to stay back and didn't tell me about it. And how do I feel about that? Right? And, uh, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. Now, for you and me today in soft American land, I don't know how far a day's journey is in a walk, uh, but it's nowhere near what it would have been for them. Probably looking at somewhere between 15 and 20 miles. Uh, 20-mile walk in a day. And, uh, dude, they had it going on. I think about mile three or four, most of us would be like, is this a day's journey yet? Right? And uh, about 20 miles they went. And uh, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him. Okay, just imagine that moment. Where you're walking along. You're feeling it in your feet. You're tired. You're a little sweaty. Got the dust coming up. You're still walking, and then you're like, hey, Mary, where's Jesus? And she's like, I don't know. I thought you knew. I don't know where he is, and it's been a long time. One of us needs to check. You're going to check? I can. Do you want me to check, or do you want to check? You know he's probably over with so-and-so. All right, I'll go check. One of them peels off and goes back and says, hey, have you seen Jesus? By the way, remember, the name Jesus means Savior. That was a very bad uptake. The (laughs) the name Jesus means Savior. And so he's like, hey, have you seen Savior? And they're like, no, he hadn't been here. What do you mean he hasn't been here? When's the last time you saw him? The last time I saw him was in Jerusalem when we were... What do you mean that's the last time you saw him? None of you have seen him? Notice what it says then. Supposing him to be in the group, they, uh, they had gone a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. Now you've gone through all the uncles and aunts, you've gone through all the cousins, and you've probably gone through some brothers, right? By this point, there's probably Jesus has some brothers. He's 12 years old. Joseph and Mary have probably had kids by that point. And uh, they probably peeled through the different groups of people. Now they're talking to people that he just might know. Have you seen him? I know he's hung at your house a few times. Somebody help me. Will you please start looking with me for him? Spread out, right? They're going back in caravan. Why? Because it's safer. Let that settle. And now their son is not with them. Let that settle. We need to feel that concern she would be feeling, that Joseph would be feeling. It says, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Can you imagine that moment? How long and hard do you have to search in the caravan before you finally decide he's not there? Right? No way are you just peeling off fast, because what if he was just hanging out in some back corner somewhere? So you look over and over and over and over, and you finally nail it down. He's not here! Now what do we do? 
We've got to go back. All right, somebody take the rest of the kids. Take the stuff. Can you take this for us? We're out of here. And now, while you're walking home, somewhat like this, how are you walking back? Right? Your turnaround is like this. Come on. Hike it up. Let's go. Pick up that robe. We're moving. Right? You are out of here. You are hauling with all you've got. And they're covering ground to get back. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple. Everybody say, that's a long time. For three days. His face hadn't quite made it to a milk carton yet. But three days, man. That is a long time for the parents to be nervous about it. And uh, three days, what is that? That's a day out. That's about a day back, maybe a little less because they were hurrying to sleep overnight as they're looking around, can't find them. They're panicked. They finally fall asleep barely. They wake up the next day, the third day, and they're finally looking and they find him. Where did they find him? In the temple. They found him in the temple. And notice there's some ING words here. And uh, whenever you see ING words in the scripture, just know it's telling you a how. So Jesus is in the temple. How is he in the temple? Well, he's sitting He's listening, and he's asking. Those are the things Jesus is doing. Three days, he is hanging out with leadership of the temple. He's asking them questions. He's listening to them, and he's basically hanging out with them. In fact, we're going to find out in a little bit, but basically in the beginning, they held court with Jesus. They were sitting there, and Jesus came to them, and they were talking. By the end of it, Jesus is holding court, and they're listening to him. And uh, three straight days of talking and walking through theology and understanding scripture, it says he was sitting, he was listening, and he was asking. Super respectful. Just remember, they are now talking to the God of the universe, and they don't know it. He's 12. He's coming along. He's got unbelievable insight, and as he's sharing, they are wowed beyond measure as they're chatting. It says, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. I can't imagine how that went down, but as they were talking, there were moments where they're beginning to up the ante on the questions, right? All right, let's see how he does with this one. They're not asking questions they don't know the answers to, not at first, I'm sure. At first, it's like, okay, what do you do with this then, young man? And now he's answering, good answer. And then what do you do with this passage? Good answer. And then how do you handle this passage? And then Jesus answers back with the question, I don't know. What does this mean to you then? And what would you do with this passage? And they're now answering back and forth. And now the level of interaction has just gone up a notch. And they're like, whoa. This kid's managing this scripture well. Now they go up a level. Can you imagine three days in what kinds of questions are going on? Right? There's no way they're on the basic questions. They're on these deep moments of insight. Who knows, maybe they're even talking about the Passover, and Jesus is informing them something about it being a type of something to come, and who knows what level they're talking to. But man, I'm telling you, they are on the deep of Scripture, and they are amazed with the questions. Jesus is blowing them away with what he knows, and he's only 12 years old. 
the blindfold has come off just a little bit for him to tap into the wisdom of the Godhead. And he's stunning them with what he knows and his insights. And uh, they were amazed at his understanding and his answers. They were questioning him and he was answering back. The ability to reveal to them the depths of what was going on. You know, when we talk about marveling, when we talk about being amazed, some of your passages say marvel, some of your translations say amazed. I'll just tell you this. I was like, well, what's the definition of that word really? So this past week, I looked it up. I uh, sat down and, uh, of course, I uh, Googled it, right? So I get on the almighty Google and I type in marvel and get the definition of it. And the simple definition of marvel was to be filled with wonder and amazement. To be filled with wonder and amazement. That's a pretty good definition of where they were, right? They're sitting there asking questions and they're just blown away. How does he know these things? Where does he get this? I've never seen such an insight before, right? Those kinds of statements being made. Filled with wonder and amazement and a marvel. That's what it means. And, and then I noticed something else in Google, this really cool tool now. Uh, when the definition pops up, actually when you look below it, it says the usage of the word. And when you click on it, it actually comes up with the number of times that word has been released in books each year of print back since 1700. Who had that job? <laughs> Can you imagine figuring that out? But from 1700 to the present, year by year, it shows the use of the word in books released in that year. And here's what I noticed. The word marvel really rose huge, and then it fell off and started to rise again. And I was like, that's really weird how it just kind of came in and came out, but over very long periods of time, it wasn't like it was just a societal thing or something. What's going on? And if you look closer, check this out, man. The word marvel began to go out of usage right around the end of one of the wars. And they started to kind of hit rock bottom. And in fact, it kind of lasted all the way up. Like when you get to the Civil War, it really started plummeting in usage. And then it started rising back really fast. And this rise back, it all depends on how many word times you're looking for and all that. But I'm telling you, by the time it hits the end of the Civil War, all of a sudden it starts skyrocketing in use. And all the way from the Civil War up until the Great Depression, the word marvel was getting used more and more and more and more and more. And, but at the Great Depression, it just starts sliding off hard. And uh, here's what I noticed. It appears that the word marvel, you know, the word we would put into books about wonder and awe and amazement is directly associated with our willingness and our ability to hope. And when we're going through tough times, I mean, really rock bottom. It doesn't seem like it's going well. We're in a world war. We're in Great Depression. Man, nobody is marveling, and the books aren't about it. They're all about struggling through it, and the word marvel, wonder, and awe speaks very specifically to hope. We wonder and we marvel where we have hope. Question. How is your hope 
in Jesus Christ. And you will find that your marveling and your wondering in him will be directly related to your hoping in him. And the more you look at your struggle, the more you look at your pain, the more you look at your heartache, and man, this world is broken. Can we just admit that? And in the midst of this broken world, it can be easy to get distracted, but our call is to fix our eyes on Jesus. He is our hope. He is the God of the universe. He knows everything. How much does he know? Man, he can do anything. How much can he do? Do you believe that? Do you have hope in that? Then marvel at our Savior, Jesus Christ. Wonder in him. Be in awe of him. I'm telling you, whatever it is you're going through, Jesus Christ He brings it to the table. Lean on your king. He is the eternal God of the universe, and his name is Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Wonder and awe in him, marvel in him. That is our job in this Christmas season. And number two, follow. Christ grew in wisdom as he lived submissively. Follow. Christ grew in wisdom as he lived submissively. Notice it says here in verse 48, and when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Now, just so you know, this word astonished, it means um, at some levels kind of like amazed. It has almost the same root as the word amazed, but it's different than that. Literally, if you break it down, it means to be blown away. It means to be blown up and the pieces of you are disseminated out and spread out. There's nothing of you left. You are blown away. That's what this word astonished really means, all right? So grasp it because we might use the word astonished and it probably takes on way too small of a meaning. If you're not grasping something that makes you gasp for a breath, that makes you about drop to your knees and start trembling, you haven't grasped it yet. Get to that level in your thinking, all right? That's what it means. Astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, all right, before you read the rest, what would your words be? (laughs) Right? Think about it. Make sure you're kind of thinking through that my junior hire just decided to stay back and I didn't know the plan and we've been scared to death for three straight days and, and so what's going on with and let's just make sure we clarify this, the word astonished probably has three different parts to it. Number one, this blown away is like, finally we found him. Can you imagine the moment you find him, right? And how often have you lost or misplaced something, especially a child? Maybe you've been at the mall and you've lost your child for 30 seconds. That moment you find them is the utter relief of finding them. As you come up and you're like, oh, yes, right? And then right after it comes, what are you thinking about, right? And, and the anger comes out all of a sudden as you, the relief first and then the anger and There is a huge set of reliefs going on, and then there's probably also the moment where they start looking around and going, why are you hanging with all the leaders of the temple? Just you and them. Where are your little friends that you've been playing with? And Right? And some astonishment on that as well. And uh, they are astonished. 
but this is what comes out. Son, why have you treated us so? Right? And, uh, and all the moms say, amen. And uh, I feel that pain. All right? And what? Of course you. Right? And we're sitting here looking from the other side, and we're like, but it's God. And really, shouldn't you have given Jesus a little bit of slack? I mean, he spoke the place into existence. I think he's okay, right? And that is so not walking through mom's shoes, right? And she says here, why have you treated us so? Notice, she didn't talk about him and his decision and what it means to him. It's, do you understand what this has done to us? This is not nice to your parents, right? And uh, she is calling the trump card. I'm the parent. Why have you treated us so? And then she uses this word, uh, behold, which means, and when God says it and when an angel says it, it usually is a stunning thing that follows. And when a hurting mom says it, look at the depth of insight. Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. You might be like, duh. I think that's a given. And she's like, I'm just putting it out there, okay? Like, you need to understand, you scared the wits out of me right now. And do you understand? I can't imagine how this went down. Because remember, he's in the midst of sitting, talking with leaders of the temple. And she walks in and, you know, they're looking around in the temple. And they're like, I don't see him anywhere. And then they hear a voice. And she's like, was that? I, I think, I can't even see over for crying out. Jesus, what a, Jesus, right? Everything gets interrupted. As you now come up and you go, why have you treated us so? Everybody is watching, right? As all the leaders are now like, little mom moment going on here. <laughs> Look out. And uh, why have you treated us so? Your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Super important that you hear the right tone on the response to the next, uh, in the next words here. This is really important. If you put the wrong tone to it, you got a big problem. So I'm going to say it with the wrong tone first for just a second. And Jesus said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? A little bit of snark. That's how a lot of us read this passage. Be super careful. That is not what's going on here, and you know it because of what you see come right after it and what it says is happening and what Jesus does. And uh, so let me just say the obvious. It's Christmas, and uh, it's a Christmas moment, so let's just say this. Jesus is not a punk. <laughs> Fair enough. So maybe, maybe you just want to say that with me. Go ahead. Jesus is not a punk. Church has been very helpful for you today. <laughs> and... Uh, right? Super important that we get the right perspective on this. And we read through it and we see him as becoming impudent as he gets a little bit more knowledgeable. And hey, junior hires, this is not a moment for you to be talking back to your parents. And uh, watch out. This is not the example here. In fact, probably the better way to hear it now goes something like this. Why were you looking for me? You better hear that he's asking a real question. 12 years old, and he's looking at him. Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? He's really asking and working through it as he's talking with them. 
This is a gentle, loving son who is like, are you serious? You didn't get that memo? You got to remember, the verses we looked at said he was growing in wisdom in a stunning way. Like Jesus wasn't running around acting just like every other little kid, and then all of a sudden he was in the temple. Everybody say, not that. It's not that. Jesus was interacting with people at extremely adult levels. The wisdom was expounding off of him. He was sharing things of scripture no one else was seeing. He had a memorization ability that was stunning. His insights were ridiculously over the top deep. He was so moving things at home. They were seeing things happen. He was getting fired up. I can't wait to get to the temple. I got questions to ask. I want to walk with these guys and talk with these guys. This Passover thing's got me really interested. I think it has a lot to do with me in some ways, right? Tons going on. All of it being set up. There is a life Jesus is living of coming along in wisdom in brilliance, in insight, his passions for his people, for the temple. And, Mom, how did you forget that? For real, you missed that? That's, that's where we're at, right? That's the moment going on. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. <laughs> I love what Luke writes. He's like, hey, let's just be real. They didn't get it. And so it went down sort of like this. What have you done to us? Look how you're treating us, right? Didn't, didn't you know I'd be about this? Then it should say, Q, I roll, right? Are you kidding me? Get with me. Let's go right now. This is a, you have got to be kidding. Now, in that moment, Mary's thoughts were, Jesus is wrong. And she was mistaken. And she was missing what was going on, and in fear, she responded with control. By the way, do you all know that that's what happens? High fear brings high control. So watch yourself. If you're letting fears begin to grip you, just know you will start controlling people and circumstances to try to feel better. It doesn't work. Newsflash. It doesn't work, and it doesn't go the right way. But uh, she's going to a high control moment here. And she's like, just follow me. They did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. They were like, yeah, we don't get it. We don't know what you're talking about. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. That's how we know the tone of the prior passage. Because he said, you're in charge. Whatever you say. And so as they're pulling him away from these temple leaders, the God of the universe is listening to his mom. There's no greater passage alive for your parents <laughs> in the moments where you're talking with your junior high and high schoolers. And they're like, why do I have to listen to you? Okay, let's turn to Luke chapter 2. <laughs> right? And uh, this is a huge moment of... Even though the parents aren't getting it and they're not thinking right, Jesus is submissive. Hear me on that. Even for us adults, are you letting leadership lead because they have the right to lead? I'm not saying you let them like they're starting to all of a sudden force you to sin. I'm not saying that. But if they're leading, maybe they are missing something that you're not. But you let your leadership lead. Be careful. America seems to keep trying to create this environment where we get to question all of leadership and do our own thing. 
Just so you know, that is not our God. Jesus Christ, super submissive to his parents. And uh, he didn't say, do what I'm not doing. He calls us to do what he is doing. And so, hey, kids, uh, let your parents lead. With all you got, let your parents lead, all right? Submissive, respectful, allowing them to lead you towards God. That is following your Christ. And man, adults, make sure you understand that the leadership in your life is there to lead you. You allow God to lead through that, all right? And uh, It says here that he went to Nazareth. He was submissive to them. He let his will sit under their will. Mary had a wrestling. I just, I love this phrase. I saw it in one of the commentaries. A pangs of priority. That's what was going on. The pangs of priority. And Jesus had priorities going on. He was starting to come up in years. It was time to start doing things. And she was like, not on my timetable. I'm not there. And uh, I'm just telling you, being the parents of college girls, I get that phrase pretty strongly now. And as we have one girl in junior year of college and another who's getting ready to go off in like two, three weeks, two weeks. Uh, Jonna just gave me the high sign. It's two weeks. And uh, as she's going off in two weeks and we're going empty nester, the pangs of priority start settling in. As we're like, yeah, we're really not so hip to you guys growing up. Not anymore. And uh, we'd kind of like to put a freeze on things for right now. And, and, and yet we know that there's things that God is doing and we're excited for them, and, right? And so you start doing the wrestling in your soul. That's where Mary's at. And the pangs of priority going on as she had to wrestle with this. And she said, you're coming with me, young man. And he came home and didn't cry like that, but that's all right. And, uh, and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. We're not really sure what this means, but most believe that most likely Luke talked to Mary later in life and she's the one that told this story to him. And she revealed back as she was looking backwards and said, do you know, there was a time where he was 12 years old and then she went through this whole story. And she treasured these things up and she's even the one who said, and then he says to us, didn't you know I'd be about the temple with all the other things going, right? And I looked at him and I was like, just come to Nazareth with us. I didn't get it at all. I missed everything. And Mary treasuring up the greatness of God in the flesh and the complexity of that walk. You think you and I have a hard time reasoning through that. Imagine being mom and the complexity of that walk and uh, the fact that the child is always right. Right? These have got to be hard moments, man. And this is a parenting moment for her to wrestle with. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature. Everybody just say, a little less blindfold. Right? A little more of the blindfold coming off, and he was starting to see and show more. He grew in wisdom and stature. Jesus was stunning in his growth and in favor with God and man. Just know this, as Jesus grew up, God the Father was pouring on and lavishing on. There was a perfection in Jesus Christ. He was revealing out the greatness of God. He is the Word, the divine expression of God himself. And he was growing up into revealing that out 
but more than that, he grew the favor of men as well. Those around him loved his laughter. They loved his challenges. They loved his questions. They loved how he knew the scripture. They loved how he worked. He was a man of integrity. He was a man of joy. He was God Almighty in the flesh. Man, there is no one like Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, he alone is enough. Jesus Christ. Yes, he was the growing teacher. Even humility in that. That's our God. That is our Lord as a child. Let's pray.